of Yahweh. This time to share in your truth, knowledge and wisdom to any that would hear the words and listen to the message, Father God. To be about your business is what I want to do, Father. I want to do this. I want to be in this place. I want to do what you called me to do. What you sanctified me to do, Father. You have made me holy. I must deliver your word. I must be about your business. And I must be in truth, always in truth, Father. Any that would hear the words listening to the message and return to your written word, Father God, and seek your face. So, we can um, we can take a little bit of a, a relaxing turn because I'm not going to be taking you over the rough bounding roads through scripture. We're going to not take it easy on you today. Emotionally, maybe not so, because for me, it's a very emotional place to be. So I got to thinking about this and, and sharing and questioning and the Holy Spirit took me to give me answers. So, a question is relative to what I'm going to share. And, and uh, what I'm going to share about is a holy place that we are called to. And I'm going to talk about two words that if you go to church... Or if you've heard of church or listen to people talk about it, there's two words that are oftentimes shared, and that's the word sanctuary or the word haven. Now, sadly, because of the derisive nature of man, and the brokenness of man and mammon and the driving from Satan and his minions, the derisiveness that takes place within the body of Christ, which we are called to be one body, like-minded, one mind, one body, one spirit, and sharing in truth. However, because of that driving nature of the enemy that wants to keep us away from that, and keep us from practicing that. And quite honestly, just my point of view, just make it a fact you don't get your knickers in a bunch and get all sitting and squirming uncomfortably because I say this. This is just my opinion. And I'm going to share it because the Holy Spirit says it's okay. But I believe 
my perception, that denominations are actually a tool and a working or have been allowed to become a tool and a working of the enemy, which is Satan and his minions and the demons. And you might say, oh my gosh, he's blasphemy. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. Why else is there so much separation? Um, you have, and not so much anymore, there's more and more churches that are coming to an open-eyed realization that um, this is not something that is of the kingdom of heaven and that we are all called to be brothers and sisters. Look, you had so many people, different people, you had different ethnicities, you had different uh, regions, you had different cultures, you had a whole lot of people and they all came and sat down at the table with Jesus and had dinner with him. Christ Jesus called many people. And then, of course, you had the pharisaical tyrants that came in with their religious attitudes, and they came in and started crying out loud about it, and they didn't get what Jesus told them when he said, the physician comes to heal the sick. They didn't understand. This is the parabolic speech that Jesus uses on them all the time. And it just confused them. But instead of asking for clarity, they would just belittle him, degrade him, and make fun of the way he spoke and just called him a, a charlatan and a necromancer and all sorts of other things that weren't nice or even correct because they couldn't figure out what he was talking about. And Jesus pointed that out to them. Well, of course you don't know what I'm talking about because you don't, you don't speak the language of truth. But denominations, if you, you not so much so now, and of course I don't pay attention to it anymore because really um, I hear about it, but my concentration is that God wants us to be together. And as as a on a diplomatic as a diplomatic envoy and working with a diplomatic visa for the kingdom of heaven and called by my Lord God, which I do and which he did and which I, I do. That's what I'm doing now. Um, the important thing is to just share truth. But so many of these folks, they they you can't come to our church because you're not of this denomination. What are you talking about? You go to a Baptist church and you want to come over here to whatever, whatever it is. You can't, you can't come over, you can't come to the Lutheran church because you're not at all like us. You don't dress like us. You don't talk like us. You don't act like us. And then you go over to the, uh, go to the Catholic church. Well, you can't come in here because you don't this and you don't that and you don't this and you don't that. Or you can't be a Baptist at first. And then you have all these segregational churches. You have the first, uh, first Southern Baptist. You have the second Southern Baptist and the third Southern Baptist and the fourth middle Baptist and you have all these numbers and separations and they all decide to worship a little bit differently and that others can't be included because they're not a member of that church. And there are some churches that even require membership before people can even come in to worship at all. I've seen that done. What is up with that? That isn't at all what God has intended for his children, us. So I come to this word, sanctuary. And the other one 
is haven. Sometimes used interchangeably, but not exactly right. And there, the word sanctuary is actually an old word, and it comes from Latin. You have you have the word haven. It comes from Old English, hafen, Dutch word haven, Germanic hafen, an Old Norse word, hofen. A harbor or a port, a place of safety, refuge, or asylum. Okay. That's applicable to a lot of things. I, I use that. And you see it's part of the title of this podcast that God gave me. Haven of Truth, Anchored in the Word. It's the Holy Spirit gave me that because in sharing of truth, it's safe. You can be here, you can go through, and you can re-listen to anything you want to. I've been doing this for, uh, God has allowed me to do this now for four years. My goodness gracious. One, two, three. <laughs> There's been some times where he's stirred me up so much that I've even come in four times during a day and and shot it out. But usually it's during his watch, which we are in now. But in particular, the word that I really drew into, and it I'd been thinking about it actually all afternoon. I'm talking to the home, talking to my father about it, praying about it, and and sharing it with the Holy Spirit. And he woke me up from sleep, said, Okay, let's go share this. And it's the word sanctuary. Why I started going into that was because I was talking to one of our elders and we're getting ready for sharing of the world mandate, which is um, something that we have all should be familiar with, I hope we're familiar with, but it's a mandate that is not given by this government or the government of man or mammon, but it's a... Um, it's a directive that God has given. And it has to do with the Great Commission, actually. And it's a mandate that was given by God and given as the Great Commission. Remember, I've shared that with you before. So we have that going on. And I was talking to one of the elders. I said, well, are we going to meet over here or over here? Are we going to be in a sanctuary? And then it stuck. 
that word sanctuary just stuck. And all day, and even somewhat distracting when we were in our meeting, I was thinking of sanctuary. So sanctuary. It comes from two different eras of Latin. You have a late Latin and you have a, an early Latin. Sanctuarium, a repository for holy things. And then a later Latin, sanctus, holy. But here's something I found out in researching and going through my reading and pulling up and, and making sure I had all the definitions that for the word sanctuary, there are eight specific definitions. Five of the eight all relate to holiness or a place of holiness. A sacred or holy place in Judaism, the tabernacle or temple in Jerusalem, the holy of holies in the places of worship, a holy place in a temple or a church. And it's part of a church that's around the altar. But here is the import of that word. And that's sanctified. What does that word mean? The word sanctified means made holy. You've heard me share this before. Jesus didn't come and hang out and wait for us to become holy, to make us holy. And the way he made us holy is he as he came and he died on the cross, he was crucified by man and mammon and those who belittled him, degraded him and berated him and called him a blasphemer, a wizard, a sorcerer, a necromancer, and even accused him of being a devil worshiper. Because they didn't understand truth and they couldn't understand the authority that he spoke with and they refused to take any part of that. Except for you have one. <clears throat> and they used to call him the teacher of teachers. And his name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a special man because he started to question everything that he learned in school and in his pharisaical learnings, <clears throat> pardon me, he began to question the things that he had been taught in school. And going through and applying these things that Jesus was saying and then was, oh, wait a minute. What if there's a whole lot more to God 
than what we have been shown in the scrolls or written about there and that the God is a greater mystery, which is exactly what we're told in the scriptures when you go through, that God is a mystery. The relationship between God, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is a mysterious relationship. The word I've shared with you before is a perichoresis, which is a Greek word. And I wear, actually, something I wear around my neck. It's called a triskel. It's Celtic. And it looks like three leaves kind of overlapping. It's, it's made of uh, silver, but they intertwine. So it's kind of triangular in shape, but there's three points. And somebody tried to tell me that I was, oh, asked me if I was practicing Wicca. I looked at him because I know what Wicca is. And I said, no, why would you ask such a question? He said, well, that symbol you're wearing, that's a, it's a sign of witchcraft. I said, no, it's not. It's called the Triskel, and it's was used by ancient tribal peoples. Druids were some that had accepted that. But here's the thing. For me, it's representative of what I shared with you with the perichoresis is the triune spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's intertwined, which is why I take it, and my belief is that that's the representation that it is. It doesn't matter that they could believe whatever they want about it, but for me, it is perfect representation of the intertwining. It's one piece but it looks like it could be three separate pieces. The mystery of our Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, and that Jesus, as we are shared in John 1, 1, was in God, with God from the beginning, from God and came, was manifest, made flesh. Talking about the word of God, what's that talking about? That's talking about Christ Jesus, which is why the Pharisees got, were so confounded. And they wouldn't even listen. They didn't want to listen because they were so arrogant and so self-centered and had taken upon themselves that Jesus must be a heretic. Got to be a blasphemous heretic. We're just going to crucify him for everything he says. But back to point. Sanctuary. We are sanctified by the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. If you are a true believer and accept that Christ Jesus is the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father and you follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit that Jesus called for us when he left to go home to prepare a place for us. He said that another would come and give us comfort and guide us and help us to understand all we had to do is talk to them. And how many, how many of you actually are comfortable with praying to the Holy Spirit? Or do you get this nagging notion in your head that, oh, I, I, I can't do that. That's, that's like, uh, oh my gosh. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I was younger and not walking with God as I should be and having the knowledge that he has shared with me that I have now, I used to think that, oh my goodness, I can't, how am I going to pray to the Holy Spirit? And how am I going to, hello, you're praying to God. When you pray the Holy Spirit and you're praying through that, 
you're talking to God. Remember what God tells us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And stop trying to figure everything out with your finite mind. This is what Nicodemus did. He let go of the finite rituals that they were going by for so long. And he, he said, well, but what if? What if the mystery to God is much deeper and greater than we can even know? And he wanted to find out, but he was also afraid to find out. And Nicodemus, being a married man, he had children and grandchildren and had a wife and was actually invited to come and see. But he didn't. Sanctuary, a holy place. We are sanctified, made holy by Christ dying and washing us in his blood, covering our wounds with his wounds, and we are sanctified. And God clothes us with robes of righteousness because of that. Christ Jesus committed himself to our, our Heavenly Father's will to sanctify us, to make each and every one of us that are true believers of Christ holy. We have just a morsel that Peter shared in the scripture of what Jesus went through on his path to that, to sanctify each of us that choose to believe in him and have faith and follow, we find that in 1 Peter 2 and 23. Pardon me, I'm flipping a page here. Actually, I'm going to read in verse 22 and, and just read to the end. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Remember when he went before Pilate and what was the first, the first testimony that Pilate gave? Remember he took Jesus aside three times and three times he came back to the Pharisees and told them that he found no reason. The first time that he came back, he said, in this man, I find no guile. And I've shared with you what that means. Guile is purposefully lying, purposefully cheating, purposefully stealing, and just being nasty and wicked. And this is why I tried to, to uh, make note of this, that, that people mistakenly say that, that when babies are born, they're born in sin. Well, no, they're not. They're born into a sinful world, but they don't learn to sin and they don't learn guile until it's taught to them by either older children or adults and sadly, even their own parents. They're, they teach them how to tell little white lies and that's okay. And rather than teaching them how to be protective of sharing only the truth, but maybe so it doesn't hurt someone that you wanna be more protective, you don't have to lie to the person because that's just wrong. That's an abomination. The scripture speaks to that. That's just a plain out abomination. 
God doesn't want you to lie, period. And when you try to bend it and make it okay, that's because you're being lazy and you're saying, well, a little white lie is okay because it doesn't hurt their feeling. No, you're being lazy because you don't want to take care in order to guard their feelings or protect their heart. You don't want to do that. So you make it easy and you bend the truth. That's not allowed. According to the word of God, that's not allowed. A lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. Period. Exclamation point. Dot, dot, dot. Further reading, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, which means he didn't return evil for evil. He didn't do that. Now I'm going to interject here too. I shared with this to you. At any given time, at any given time, at any given time, during all these events, when Jesus Christ was being beaten nearly to death, when he was made to carry the beam of the cross to go up to Golgotha to be hung on that cross and die, when he was even nailed to that cross, and when the Pharisees were throwing stones at him, spitting at him, and throwing dirt at him, he could have called, Father, send my angels. And legions of angels would have come to his call and set him free. Do you not understand that he could have had this world as we knew it then, historically read about it, that it could have been destroyed to set him free and protect him and take him home in safety? But he didn't do that. Christ Jesus died and rose on that third day as he said he would, as the prophet said he would. And why did he do that? Because he did that to sanctify us, to make us holy, because we are children of God. We are God's creation and everything that God touches. His spirit is in us. Further reading 23. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, our heavenly father. who his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, being dead to him, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishops of your souls." And you have individuals that are whining and cry about being, using that metaphor and that analogy that we're like sheep. <clears throat> wow, really? You're going to whine and cry about that? I, I find it very fascinating. And sheep are an interesting creature. They know their shepherd's voice. They know the voice that leads them, guides them, protects them. And if you look at any relationship that they have with, uh, when you have shepherds that have a sheepdog, those sheep have a relationship with that dog. They know that that dog is their protection 
and they know that dog is to do a specific thing. Even when they go and they want to go and do their own thing, the dog comes around and guides them back the other way. They might not like it, but they know that that dog is there for them. And when the shepherd speaks, they know his voice. When our shepherd speaks, we should know his voice. Do you know the voice of Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son of God who came and died for us so that we are healed by his stripes and we are clothed in that robe of righteousness that God puts around us? It's an easy thing to do. All you have to do is make the decision. You can do it right now. It takes just a matter of a minute or two. Jesus I do believe that you are the only begotten son of God. I do believe that you came to cleanse me, to clean me, to make me holy so that I can be an heir and a joint heir with you in the kingdom of heaven. I believe these words that I'm hearing are truth. I will have faith in you, heavenly father. I want you, Holy Spirit, to guide my steps. And this is what I desire. This is what I look for. This is what I long for. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple done. We could have done it right then. You could have done it along with me. You can wait until you're with somebody that you're more familiar with, you feel more comfortable with, or you can wait till you get to church, just as long as you do it. And I'm not saving anyone because that's not what I do. I give you the seed, food for thought, and you have to make that decision. But back again we find that there's a number of scriptural passages that speak to something that is very specific that happened with Christ Jesus when he was crucified. And we actually find the first reference, we're gonna go into Matthew chapter 27. I, I um, at the risk of sounding like I have favoritism, I, I, I guess just admittedly I do. I, I like Matthew a lot. Matthew is very direct. He used to, he used to get made fun of. Pardon me. And a lot of folks didn't like him because, again, I share he was a um, he was a tax collector. He was paid by both the Romans and the Pharisees were kind of putting a little jingle in his pocket because he helped them um, he helped them so that they could save out of their pocket directly and and still have substantial possessions. 
So he kind of protected them and helped them through things and whether directly doctoring the books, I, I'm not going to get into that, but he was, he was getting accommodated by the pharisaical tyrants and those that were on that side. And then you had the Romans and he, Matthew was a, was quite a wealthy young man. But the thing in particular that is I like about Matthew is that he was actually also very humble. He spoke several languages. He knew how to read and to write, and he knew numbers. But he wasn't belittling to anybody. Matthew was actually a pretty humble guy. And... Um, he was also a note taker, which I think was important to Jesus. And he, it seems like Matthew in reading that Matthew was the one who was most oftentimes walking with Jesus and taking notes. Just a personal observation. I could be all wrong, but I don't think so. If I was, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me share it with you. Just saying. But Matthew was always writing in his journal. He was always writing things down. This was why sometimes it was, it could oppose, um, it could oppose a danger to Jesus because you have to remember that all along his path and his mission and that three years that he walked on this plane of existence, that there were those that were trying to kill him. The whole time, the Pharisees they did they wanted to they wanted to find some way that they could entrap him or kill him, and which is really kind of silly to me and proved to be actually a point of hilarity in my mind's eye is that um, they never they never took hold of any of Matthew's writings or any of his journals, which would have been their happy, happy, joy, joy for them, and they could have danced a jig, which they partially did. But Matthew was constantly writing what Jesus was teaching, what he was talking about. And this is why I, I favor Matthew um, a lot, because he wrote it as it was happening. As he saw it, and he was walking with Jesus and writing it down, it was also detail-oriented, and he was very specific in a lot of things. And some people can't deal with that too well, but I like it. Now you have Mark and Luke and some of the others. John was always uh, also uh, pretty specific in things that he wrote about. And he was always talking about the love that Jesus had for us and always talking about love, God's love, Jesus' love, and sharing that constantly. But the other disciples in their writings, until later on when they were out away, they were always seems, and you can see the difference in the writing um, because we have passages speaking to the same thing, but you can see if you go to them and you read that they're, the way they're written are a little bit different, almost as if it was a, mm, a little bit more matter-of-factly written and just in, and not so much in the detail. But we can find that in Matthew 
or Mark 15, 38, and Luke 23, 45. Not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. You just, you're aware of the different perceptions that they have. I shouldn't do it, but I, I like Matthew. I like Matthew a lot. And I shouldn't be in particular because it's all the word of God, but I like Matthew. And um, the Holy Spirit doesn't mind. But we're going to go in here and we're going to not take that wild, crazy ride through because I'm going to stay in Matthew um, in the 27th chapter. And I'm probably going to uh, try to get through this for you all into uh, and share in 27 and 28. Um, I'm going to jump a little bit, but I'm not going to get wild and crazy. So here's the thing. In Matthew 27, this is when um, the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, however you want to say it, when they get Jesus, they want to take him to the, well, they didn't actually do it. Let's be corrective in that. That they had the temple guards. Here's, okay. I'm going to get off point for just a minute. So the temple guards, which bullied the people, but yet they had issue with the Romans and they had issue with, uh, they allowed people to uh, throw things at Matthew who was protecting them and keeping them from having any money, but that was okay. But yet they had the temple guards, which bullied the people. And when they were stealing from the people, stealing from the temple, stealing from God, and Jesus came and cast the money changers out that were in the courtyard to the temple, they didn't like that, but they were stealing from the people, lying to the people, and stealing from the temple and stealing from God. So Jesus ran them out. They didn't like that, but when they did it, it was all okay. And this is when Jesus had confronted them in several points that you've forgotten the people. What about the people? You totally forget about it. And you're what you're supposed to be doing is about them, but you don't. You only do it about self. Remember, Christ came to serve and not to be served. That was his entire purpose. He came to make us holy, not to wait around for us to become holy before he died for us. All right, continuing. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Well, the temple guards and the Herodians, they all, they were the ones pushing him around. Remember when they went to the garden, Jesus went up there and kissed Jesus on the cheek so that they knew that they had him. Well, the Herodians, which were the special guard of Herod and the temple guards, they were the ones who snatched and grabbed onto Jesus. And in the garden, Jesus he said, what, what are you doing? Why do you come like this? I was with you all the time and taught and shared in the temples. I taught in the synagogues and yet you didn't put your hand on me there. But yet you come up here at night in the garden and you come like thieves in the night. Further reading of verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. 
and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Wow. And the chief priest took the silver piece and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. Well, it was okay to buy Judas's treachery and his betrayal. That was okay. But they didn't, they couldn't put it in the treasury for the, the church because, oh, then because their decision was that, oh, that, that, that's not right. We can buy that treachery, but we don't want to use it because it's blood money. Their line of thinking is very, very disturbing. And actually, we have folks that are like that today. So those that say that they have to rewrite the Bible so that it's more relevant, I'm sorry, but this, this holy book, these words of God are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were first written and copied. Further, verse 7, And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field is called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Wow. The Pharisees are, hmm. I see that it's relevance today. But in all these times, and, and they took Jesus to Pilate and had him stand in front of Pilate and they were going to have him cast on. And not one time they took him to the governor and uh, further reading in verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And the only time that Jesus responded, any time. Thou sayest. Basically saying, you say that I am. You say that. And that's all he said. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, never a word. Insomuch that the governor wondered, marveled greatly. Now at the feast that the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, who will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy, they had delivered him to him. So this is, Pilate was aware of the treachery that the Pharisees had and the issue that they had because many times when they were walking through the streets, they knew that the people responded to Christ because he spoke with authority, he spoke with truth that they did not. 
He spoke the holy truth, the holy word of God, and he came to sanctify us, to make us holy. And they cared nothing about the people. <clears throat> so Pilate recognized that they brought Jesus out of their envy. And they wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. They didn't want Jesus released because then you have to deal with it. Verse 18, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Now, you remember I've shared this with you before in verse 19. Pilate's wife had been following teachings of Jesus. She had been listening to the disciples and was making her way out and listening. And she told her husband when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. She had things, seen things, she realized things. She was listening to the teachings and it troubled her heart. She was unsettled. And as it was, the chief priests and the elders in the temple, they convinced the crowd that they were going to cry out to crucify him and that they wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. And he asked him, he said, what should I do? Who should I release, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, Barabbas. Then Pilate asked, verse 22, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. He was not going to have part of murdering Jesus because he was determined that Jesus was innocent. Of course, Jesus knew that. But he came because he was following the will of his father. And you find that. I shared that with you in 1 Peter 2.23. And also... 13 through 25. I'm jump over there. Oops, went to the wrong Peter. Sorry about that. Apologize. So I'm just going to read from uh, 22, actually 21. For even there unto, here unto ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving to us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him 
that judgeth righteously, committed himself to the will of the Father. Remember when he was praying in Gethsemane, he, he, he was in fervent prayer and he cried out to God. He said, take this cup from me. But then in the same breath, he said, no, your will be done, not my will. He didn't want to die. Jesus was, Jesus, remember, this is hard for a lot of people to imagine, but this is exactly what it is. Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God, our heavenly father. He is holy and in part of God and from heaven. He also came and was holy a man. Heavenly attributes that he could have used but didn't use. And he came to walk as a man. And he did that for three years amongst us. And was crucified. Verse 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on that tree that we being dread to sins, dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whom stripes ye were healed. For ye were sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And I've shared this with you before, brothers and sisters. We are, we are told that we are in a spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare is for our very soul. And yet you have individuals, even within the church body, that cry out about the armor of God and this, it's too militaristic and this and that and the other. And I've even heard pastors apologize. Seriously? You're going to apologize for speaking the truth and the word of God? God tells us we are in a spiritual warfare. Christ Jesus tells us that there are, are evil things that are going to come at us and it's going to fall us. You have Matthew 24. Jesus tells us all these things are going to happen and he tells us that it shall be as it was in the days of Noah before the return of the Son of Man. Talking about him coming back as he promised to do. But then it's going to get worse before it gets better. Brothers and sisters, I look around and I see this stuff happening. But that doesn't mean that we get all, whoa, whoa, pitiful, poor, poor, pitiful me and we sit down on the pity pot and stay there and don't go out and do anything, what do we do? We pray and we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We go out and we offer brothers and sisters, anyone that will listen, not just hear the words, but listen to the message and seek that which is offered freely. The sanctity of their soul to be heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus our King, the only begotten Son of God, who is in God, of God, from God, and that is heirs and joint heirs in that kingdom that we are there because of this thing that I just shared with you, that he was crucified for that sake. And the tapestry that was torn from top to bottom. Brothers and sisters, when he was crucified, that was done. There was a separation in the churches, in the temples at that time. 
And that separation was a, a tapestry that hung and it separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the folks that came to the church to pray and worship. And when Christ was on the cross, and we can find this in Matthew 27, verse 46. Oh, I'm going to go to actually 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Hirai, Eli, lama sabach, datnai. Translated, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some that stood by didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't, they didn't speak Aramaic, but they could hear some of the words. Okay, remember, Christ Jesus' native language was Aramaic. Quite possible. It doesn't say that that's what he did. But when he cried out at that time, some of them that stood there, when they heard that, they said, this man calleth for Elias. One of them ran and he took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on the end of a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Now you remember Elias was a prophet of God and they thought that that's who Jesus was crying out to. Elohim, God. Further reading of verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. They didn't kill him. Jesus gave up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The earth split. There's a great quaking. Graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. They came up. Like when he cried out in the grave and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got up and he came out. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurions and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And those first apostles, the women, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, Jesus' mother, and the mother of Zebedee's children, James and Andrew. And when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. Now, this is not Simon Peter, this is, and, and not 
Jesus' father. This is a different Joseph. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of stone and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They were sad, heartbroken, and they just found all that they had walked through and all that they'd been through that he was killed. And if that wasn't enough, <clears throat> pardon me, that the Pharisees got done what they wanted to get done, the chief priests came, <clears throat> pardon me, they came back to Pilate again and said, you know, you know, there wasn't enough that we had him crucified and we came up and did all that. Now we know we want you to come in that you have and make the sepulcher secure so that his disciples don't come at night and steal him away and say to the people that he is risen like he said he would do. We don't want that to happen. So come and stand guard. Because if you don't, it's going to be worse than it was. Oh my gosh, my goodness, my gracious. The deceivers, the liars, and all that they do. Lied once, lied twice, lied thrice, and, and they continue to lie. And they have to lie upon lie upon lie upon lie to. So Pilate said, ye have it, watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. <clears throat> but we know what happened. That Mary... And Jesus' mother came. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the end. Uh, chapter 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And you remember that there's relation to when Mary sees him and she thought he was a gardener until he called her by name. God calls us by names, brother and sister. He knows our name. He knows what we are. He's sanctified as we are his holy children. We are called to do that thing. And Jesus Christ came and was crucified so that we are made holy. He sanctified us. There's no more separation. We are made able to come to the Father in heaven because of Christ Jesus. We are holy. Brothers and sisters, in my prayers, in my going out, and my coming in every day, be blessed.